Good morning. So good to be with you today. And uh, before I jump in, let, let me do a couple of things. One, would you thank the campus pastors for sharing last week uh, and, and preaching last week across all of our campuses? We're grateful uh, for all of you and, and the anointing on your lives. Uh, last week, I preached at, at a friend's church in Denver, uh, Colorado, and uh, we saw 80 people give their life to Christ last week in, in Denver. Uh, so we, we just thank the Lord for what he's doing all over the country, in fact, all over the world. And, and uh, today, uh, we're, we're going to jump in. Two weeks ago, if you weren't here two weeks ago, I'm still in awe of what we got to witness here two weeks ago. Uh, 68 people a- across our campuses trusted Christ and gave their lives to Jesus. And, and uh, most of them uh, in church, and most of them are church people, and, and quite honestly, I think that God rescued very many of you, uh, and I think he's going to rescue some of you today. I believe that with all of my heart. And if you you have ears to hear, you're hearing what the Spirit is already saying. You're already praying uh, about the moment that we're working towards over the next 30 minutes, 40 minutes, two hours, how long we preach. And and, and when we get to that moment uh, where we give people a chance to respond, can I just say to those of you who who, who are here and and you're a little fidgety about that moment already, uh, we're praying for you. And we're so glad that you're here, and we're, we're thrilled uh, today, and, and we just believe that God is doing something special in, in our midst. And, and before we jump in uh, to the content, can we welcome all of those that are watching online today? Would you put your hands together? Uh, Greg in Kansas, the Fosters in Honduras today. We got friends in Illinois, New York, Arkansas. Arkansas, what a horrible performance that was. Uh, last night. It didn't even look like basketball. I felt like I was watching junior high girls basketball (laughs) in the tournament, and uh, somehow they won, huh? In fact, what? Yeah, that's an insult to junior high girls. That's right. Uh, uh, I've coached junior high girls teams that did better than both New Mexico State and Arkansas. We just praise the Lord we got through that one. my ears and eyes were bleeding. And uh, so we're glad you're here today. And we're praying for your state uh, and your basketball team. Colorado, Egypt, uh, we welcome all of you across the Middle East who are joining us today. And uh, I want us to pray before we dive in. Would you pray with me? And would you, in your own words, say to the Holy Spirit, give me ears. Give me ears to hear what it is that you are saying, not, not what Alex is saying, not, not what a church is saying, uh, but what you are saying, Holy Spirit of God. And, and we do speak the name. We speak the name of Jesus over every heart under the sound of my voice today. Uh, may his name be elevated, lifted up, honored, adored. And, and as we do that, we thank you for the promise that you will draw men and women and boys and girls to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, today we're going to talk about the end. It is the end of this series. Uh, and we're going to look at Jesus' message to the last of the seven churches. If you got your Bible, open to Revelation chapter 3. And this maybe is the most important of the seven uh, messages. But we're also going to, for a few minutes, look at the end of the world. Or, or at least the end of the world as we know it. When, when you begin a series on, on uh, the book of Revelation, there comes with it a certain expectation, right? That you will talk about the future, that you will deal with the future, that you will cover uh, the details of, of the end times. And we haven't done a lot of that. Uh, so I thought in this last sermon in this series, we'll talk just a little bit about the last days. Now we could go into a whole lot of detail and a whole bunch of charts and all of that. And some of you love that. You can't get enough of it. And, and uh, some of you that bores you to death. I know that and I get that and, and I feel the tension uh, with that. But what, what I want to do today is just give you some of the highlights, maybe the Reader's Digest, I don't know if you remember that one, Reader's Digest uh, version of the end times. And and there are some details uh, and some differences you may have, and I just want to say to you, that's okay. You you may at some moment in this message go, Pastor, I don't agree with you 100% about that. Uh, That's fine. Uh, What I'm dealing with today, or quite honestly, are not primary doctrines. And whether you agree with this or not does not indicate whether or not you have salvation or not. But you do need to understand 
understand this, that I am going to deal with the scripture today. I'm not giving you this is what Alex says. I'm going to give you this is what God says uh, according to the word of God. And so I want to cover five major uh, events that I believe are right around the corner. And and all five of these events encompass many, many, many other events. In fact, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of little events that the Bible mentions that make up these big five. And and, and so uh, if you can get these big five, you can get the big picture of what the Bible has to say uh, uh, about the end times. In fact, write this down. Here's number one. The next thing to happen is the rapture, okay? And I I would uh, guess that most of us have heard about the rapture. This is when Jesus... Jesus comes and calls for believers to come home. And uh, uh, this is the opening scene of, of all of those left behind movies and left behind books. And, and, and some of you who have studied this will s- maybe would say, hey, that word rapture is not even in the Bible. That's true. It's absolutely true that that word is not in the Bible. But the concept and the idea and the event is talked about quite a bit in, in Scripture. Paul even talks about it. Look, look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from uh, the graves. And, And verse 17, then together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words. So so here's how it happens, okay? First, those who have died and are believers are raised from the grave. Then those of us who are still alive, we go up and and we meet them. And all of this happens, according to the Scripture, in a blink of an eye, right? Snap. We're all gone. Hundreds and thousands, millions and billions are are gone in an instant. And and by the way, the Scripture is clear about this. No one knows when this will happen. Jesus in Acts chapter 1 says that he doesn't even know when this will happen. But he does say it will happen. And it will happen when no one is looking, when no one expects it. And and Jesus compares this to a thief in the night. And we're all waiting for Jesus to come and get us. And and we all need to be ready. Okay? So that's the next thing to happen is the rapture. Number two is the tribulation. Once the believers... Now think about the theology of this. Once the believers are taken up to heaven, those who are left behind on earth will go through this period of intense uh, trouble. And the book of Revelation talks a lot about this. In fact, most of chapters 8 through 18 deal with this one idea. And we've talked about this a bit throughout this series and and at other times. But let me give you a little bit more of it uh, today. Revelation jumped to chapter 6 real quick, and we'll come back to chapter 3 in a minute. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the general, uh, generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave and every free person all hid themselves in caves among the rocks in the mountains. Verse 16, and they cried to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? Now, during this time, God's wrath will be unleashed on the whole earth. Once all the believers are in God's presence, look at me, there is nothing to hold back the wrath of God. The believers are gone. There's nothing to hold back the wrath of God. And the point of that tribulation is to get some to turn, as many as possible, to turn to God. But according to Scripture, sadly, many will continue in their unrepentance. Then you have what's called, thirdly, the second coming. Okay, the second coming. Once the full judgment of God against sin is fulfilled, Jesus comes again to the earth, and this time he comes to rule, right? The first time he came to die and to give his life as a sacrifice, but one day he will come in power to take over the whole earth. Re- Revelation nineteen eleven. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and true for he judges fairly and he wages a righteous war now the rest of this chapter talks about what's called the battle of armageddon 
Okay, you've heard of that, right? The Battle of Armageddon. That's the final battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And, and according to Scripture, good wins decisively, right? And, and then you have the fourth thing, which is called the millennial reign uh, of Christ. Now, don't get confused here, because millennial is not talking about young professionals without a job. <laughs> Still living at home, eating avocado toast. That's not what it's talking about, okay? This is talking about a thousand years, and Jesus comes back, right? He comes back and he locks up Satan and all of the beasts for 1,000 years. And what Jesus does during that time is he sets up a earthly kingdom and Jesus will reign on earth in this earthly kingdom for 1,000 years. And here's the good news. We get to reign with him. And all of that is found in Revelation chapter 20. Now, the last event that, that makes up these big five is the final judgment, okay? So at the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan will be released. There will be one final battle where he is defeated forever. And then everyone uh, stands before God to be judged for all of eternity. You say, well, where's that? Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw the great white throne and the one sitting on it. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books, plural, were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So, so those are the big five, okay? And, and if you want to know anything about end times, all of it fits in and around this massive outline. So this is the outline that you really need to know according to Scripture. But, but some of you may be thinking, well, why do I even need to know that? I got other stuff on my mind, right? I got other things that are capturing my attention. I, I, I'd rather know how to handle tomorrow morning than focusing on something that's so far off in the future. Why do I need to focus on something that's so far off in, in the future? Well, for one, it may not be that far off in, in, in the future, right? It could happen tomorrow morning. That would be uh, good on a Monday, wouldn't it, right? Uh, it, it could happen tonight. It could happen right now. Wouldn't that be the most climatic end to the service if, if we just say amen and, and then it, we're gone, right? It'd be awesome if God would let us do it that way one time. But, but there's another reason to study the future and think about the future, right? In fact, write this fact down, if, if you would. How we see the future affects how we live today. How we think about what's going to happen affects how we live right now. What we believe that God will do pushes him in a whole new light today. What you think about that side of eternity will impact this side of eternity. How you see the future affects how you live today. Now, this is true in so many different areas of our lives. In fact, every area of our lives. Take, take, take one area, for example, finances. When you sit down with a financial planner to plan out your retirement, the first thing, never, is the first thing that they ask, how much do you want to put back each week? They don't ask that at the beginning of the whole endeavor. Why would they do that? Because that would be awful, right? That would not be the way to lead that conversation. Here's what they start with. How do you want to live in retirement? What are some things that you would like to experience in that season of your life? Why do they begin there? Because they want you to get you thinking about the future so that you will save today. When they get you thinking about then, uh, you, you'll begin to take steps to get ready now, right? So, so what we do now is often determined by how we see the future. So how we see the future is actually very important. And if you aren't ready now, you won't be ready then. And, and that's the same message that Jesus was giving this church we're going to study today, the last of them, the church of Laodicea. So jump back to Revelation 3, three chapters from where we just were. 14 chapters from where we just were. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse uh, 14, okay? Look at what he says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. The faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Now, amen, th that equals the final things that J Jesus has to say right? We say amen at the end of a prayer. It means I agree in, in Hebrew. He has the final say about the future, and we need to be ready for it. And by the way, he said this thousands of years ago, and he has been saying the very same thing ever since. Look at what he continues in verse 15. I know all the things you do. 
that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, here, here's the idea. In fact, this whole idea of hot and cold, sometimes we, we get it wrong. I've, I've heard uh, people explain this, and, and they try to explain it this way, that hot represents those who are on fire for Jesus, and cold represents those who are spiritually dead. That's not at all what is being said here. Uh, both cold and hot, according to this illustration, are good, right? And, and so that's not what he's talking about. And to get this at Laodicea, you, you need to know something about Laodicea. They had no source of cold water and they had no source of hot water. You and I, when we go to the sink and we turn it on, we have instant water, right? Hot, cold, it doesn't matter. Now, sure, you have to wait a second for it to warm up, but it is there. But back then, to have hot water, you needed a hot spring uh, to gain hot water. To gain cold water, you needed a mountain spring. And Laodicea had neither of those. So what they did, don't miss the point, is they relied on outside sources, One of them was six miles to the north in a place called Heriopolis that had hot springs. And so they built a six-mile trench or six-mile hot water aqueduct uh, into the city of Laodicea. Uh, And then nine miles to the east is a town you've heard of before, Colossae. Colossae had cold water streams. And so they dug a nine-mile trench or aqueduct. In fact, let me show you a picture of this. This is one of the most fascinating things on the trip to Israel are these aqueducts that were built in the first century or even before, that they had the technology to do that back then and and run it to uh, miles and miles and miles. At at my house several years ago, uh, we decided to get off a septic and to get onto the city sewer. And the reason we decided to do that is because we had one of those uh, uh, irrigation systems that that was connected to the septic tank. And uh, I forgot what you call that. Uh, What? Huh? Not not lateral lines. It was the... uh, aerobic system, the expensive one, the aerobic system. And and, uh, one time we had a bunch of people over, a party over, and the sprinkler decided to come on. And and it had a a smell to it. It wasn't for me, it was for my children, that smell. And uh, and so next thing I know, we're crashing that thing in with a bulldozer and and running a line. And and the plumber who who was running this line uh, dug like a eight-foot trench with like a two-foot bucket. Now, I don't know anything about anything when it comes to construction, but I am 50 times smarter than this guy (laughs) because we're wearing a four-inch pipe in the ground. He used a 24-inch bucket and dug it seven feet deep. There was a pile of dirt the size of a pickup truck 300 feet from my house to the road. And and like, I thought, what are you doing? And we got all the way to the end of it, and uh, he was like, five feet below the septic uh, connection, below it. And I said, what are you going to do now? And he said, I'll run a couple of 90s. I said, again, I don't know anything about this, but I don't think that's how crap flows. And and, and he said, we'll we'll, we'll put a pump here. And I said, I'm not having a pump. What if the pump goes bad? It's going to back it. We need to do this the right way. He said, I said, fill it back in. And he filled it back in. I came back two days later and he he literally is lining out 300 feet of pipe with a six inch level. And I said, I don't think that's going to work, buddy. And uh, he said, yeah, all you need is a quarter of a bubble every time. I said, but that thing is six inches long. I said, I just feel like what you're going to have here is this. And he said, what do we, I said, get a laser and shoot it. I don't know anything about it, but I see them on the side of the road all the time shooting those lasers. I don't think they're shooting at drivers. I think they're trying to measure something. Why don't we do this the right way? And so in the first century, they had all these aqueducts that literally would run water downhill for miles and miles and miles and miles. It was, the technology is unbelievable because they were doing it with no technology. Maybe they did it with a six inch level. I don't know, but... They did it properly. Nine miles to, to the east was Colossae. So they had cold water streams there. And, and they built this aqueduct to bring in the cold water. But the time, by the time the water got to them, now remember what I said, six miles and nine miles. By the time it got to them, the cold water uh, was warmed up and the hot water was cooled down. You say, what, what's the application? If you don't have a personal source in your life, If you don't have a personal source in your life, access to God, 
time spent with Jesus, a refreshing spring into your life. You say, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying, and don't miss this. If your only access to the water of the Word of God comes on Sunday mornings and once a month at that, you will become lukewarm. I promise. You, you, you will become lukewarm. You need a thriving, active life of wonder in your life. You need a thriving, active life of worship in your heart and in your day and in every hour of your day, every day of your week. You, you, you need that in life. Otherwise, your excitement will wear off and you will become stagnant. And, and, and over time, Laodicea got used to their useless situation. Now, they didn't change anything about it. Instead, they just changed their perception of it. It was okay that the cold water had warmed up. It was okay that the hot water had cooled down. They were fine with it. They had gotten used to their useless situation. And I'm afraid this would be the message of Jesus to a lot of churches today. You've gotten used to how things are. You've become complacent about how messed up your life actually is. And, and, and we have become compromised to the world's standards, right? It's like the illustration of the boiling frog. Remember that illustration? And, and we have one. We're going to bring it out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't even know if this works or not. I, I, but this is an illustration that's been around for years and years and years, right? That if you take a bullfrog and you drop it in boiling water, it will instantly jump out of the water. But, but what they say is if you, bring, you put it in a pot and you begin to gradually bring the temperature of the water up to a boil, uh, he will get used to it and he will become used to his surroundings and, and he'll just sit in the pot and boil. And, and I, I don't know if that's true or not, but, but that illustration plays out as to what has happened to the church. We, we have become thermometers and we're no longer thermostats. You say, well, what do you mean? Thermometers tell you how hot or cold the surroundings are. A thermostat changes the atmosphere all around it. I'm afraid we've become thermometers at work. We've become thermometers in our neighborhoods. We've become thermometers in the world. We can tell you how bad it is out there, but we can't change it. And if your diet is Fox News or CNN and that's all you're taking in, listen, you are killing your brain. Amen. You are killing your brain from the ability to think rationally as to what is actually happening in the world. But beyond that, that is not our source of hope. We're not evaluating what's happening in Russia and Ukraine based on the fact of whether or not we like Trump or, or Biden or neither. That is a foolish way to try to perceive what is happening across the world. You and I as the children of God should be going to the word of God saying, how does this fit in to what is happening according to what God had to say and what God wants to do? We are not called to be thermometers that are placed in the culture and can just bellyache about how bad it is. You have the spirit of God living within you. You are supposed to be a thermostat that walks into the culture and begins to change the atmosphere all around you. What good does it do to be able to tell the world how bad it is in the world? Jesus is calling us to eternal life. And by the way, that starts today. He calls us to live on earth as if we are in heaven. And we can't do that if we're not connected directly to the water source. In fact, what Jesus says about those who are connected to the water source is, is that living water will flow out of them. Living water will flow out of those who are connected to him. Now look at how he takes the Laodicean church to task over this in, in verse 17. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Holy cow. That's the exact opposite, by the way, of what he said about Smyrna. Remember that, chapter 2, I think, verse 9? Je Jesus uses three words here to describe Laodicea. Poor, blind, and naked. Write them down. Poor, blind, and naked. And man, those three words cut them deeply. And, and, and these three words were like a slap in the face to this church because the three words that he used described the self-satisfied situation they were living in. Poor. 
Laodicea, by the way, was destroyed by the very same earthquake that we talked about last week that hit Philadelphia. But the difference between Philadelphia and Laodicea is Laodicea had enough resources from their gold to fix it all by themselves. You say, what do you mean? They didn't need Rome's help to fix it. And that same attitude became a spiritual issue. We don't need help from anyone, including you, God. And when we believe that we don't need God's prescription, when we believe that we don't need a a, a biblical community, a community group, when we believe that a place of service is not relevant to me in my faith family, when we believe that God's plan for my finances is not really God's plan for my finances, then then what we're saying is we don't need your advice, God. I I know you made it so clear in scripture that these are core components for everyone connected to uh, Jesus, but but I don't need that in my life today. I'm not going to take you at your word. I don't need your prescription. Do you remember what the throne of Satan is? It's pride. And if there's anything in Scripture that God attacks over and over and over again, it's, it's pride. But God said to them, no, 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 you're actually poor in spirit. And you need me more than you know that you need me. How often do we say that to God? I got this under control, God. I, I don't need to talk to anyone else about this. I, I will handle this all by myself. I think you can uh, take a break, God. I'll manage this one on my own. Whenever we get to the point that we think we have enough, we actually have nothing. Blind. Blind. Laodicea was the home of a medical school. And they specialized in this particular medical school in an eye salve that could help people with eye problems. Isn't that interesting that, that Jesus is calling them blind? And Jesus was saying, you think you help others see when you yourself are blind. That when we think we're good enough to help others, we, when we can't even really help ourselves. Uh, Matthew 5 talks about this. Sermon on the Mount talks about this. Jesus says it's the blind leading the blind. And what happens when the blind leads the blind? They both fall in a ditch. Naked. He said naked. Laodicea had a thriving textile industry. They made garments and shipped them all over the world. And it was as if they were saying, look at how good we are at covering ourselves up, God. And Jesus said, you you don't get it. Your biggest effort is worse than my smallest effort. And their self-diagnosis was actually the opposite of Jesus' diagnosis. Do you understand that? Their self-diagnosis was the opposite of Jesus' diagnosis. They were deceived. And even worse than being deceived is they were self-deceived. They thought they had it all, but Jesus is saying, you actually have nothing of any value. They, They thought they had it all, but Jesus told them, you don't have anything if you don't have me. And they had grown complacent. And when we get complacent, satisfied with where we are spiritually, we will become lukewarm in our faith. When we become complacent about serving in the faith family, we become complacent about even our attendance. Then we become complacent about other people's sins. Eventually we become complacent about our own sins. We we get complacent with the things in our lives. We're no longer ready for eternity when it comes. And some of us have lived so long in these wretched Uh, miserable situations that we don't even recognize them anymore. In fact, we like it. We, we, We may just be so used to it that we wouldn't even know what to do with it if it changed. Oh, God, help us. Help us see a better way of life that you want us to have. In fact, would you just ask yourself that question today? Is there any area of your life or areas of your life where you think you have it all together? And that's your perception, but the Lord may be saying something different about it. Humbly ask the Holy Spirit that question this morning. Is there something, Holy Spirit, that I pridefully think that I have all together, but I'm wrong? Wrong. Jesus said, I hold it all together for a reason. And the reason is, is that we can't hold it all together. We think we have it all together, but we don't. Jesus does have it all together. 
You remember those five things that we just talked about? Those are big events that are yet to happen. And, and after the fifth one, after the, the, the fifth one, let me, let me show you this, Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. Look at verse four. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying and no more pain. And all of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. In other words, God has a plan to make the whole earth new. Heaven will come down to earth literally. What we've been praying for two years around here about on earth as it is in heaven is going to come true. Every time we've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, that is going to come true. And in that moment, every tear is wiped away. Every disease is healed. Every pain is removed. And we will be with him forever. That's what we have to look forward to. That's the future and what the future holds for those who are following Jesus. And if we live with that in mind, listen, we won't become complacent and we won't become uh, lukewarm. When we talk about heaven, we, we, we don't mean up there, right? That, that, that's not biblically what heaven is all about. It's not in outer space. When, when we think about the afterlife, that's heaven, right? What, what, what we're talking about is the earth being renewed and restored. And we will be with him forever and ever. Here's a good definition of heaven for you. It's the forever favor of God. It's the forever favor of God. It's the favor of God, meaning what? We are his people. He said God's home is now among his people. We live with him. Now, what does it mean that we are God's people? It means we have access to the throne. And even now, we get a sneak peek of, of heaven. We're his audience, right? And he is our audience. And, and, and we have an audience with him, meaning what? That he hears us when we pray. We're his people. We get an answer given to us through his presence in, in our lives. And, and it's not just favor, it's forever. It means we're going to put pain in the rearview mirror. Forever. We will have a perfect life with him. No more hurts, no more worries, no more pandemics, no more inflation, none of it. None of it. But, but what about those who don't know Jesus and follow Jesus? And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And I saw the dead both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done and as recorded in the books. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the eternal equivalent of being spit out of God's mouth. And, and if you're not a believer, and if you're not a follower, and if your name is not written in the book of life, can, can I just tell you the truth today? There's only one future for you. And it's eternal torment. That's it. Forever. And Jesus wants you to make the decision now, not later. There's no time after you die. There's no more bandwidth after the end of your life. You can't make that decision once you're dead. You have to do it now. The best time to think about eternity is not when you get there. It's too late. You've walked too long at that moment. You've grown lukewarm, Jesus says, and I'll spit you out of my mouth. And he said that to the church of Laodicea, and I think it's still true today. This is so perplexing. Many of us have been talking about this all week long. Can't, I, I, it's such a weird terminology in the scripture. Look at what he says to them. So I advise you to buy gold from me. 
how on earth would we buy anything from Jesus? What currency are, are, are we buying with when we, when we buy from Jesus? I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Do you see what he's doing here and what he's saying here? What he's saying here is poor, blind, and naked. I want to take care of those things for you. And I'll just, today I just say to some of you, if those previous verses of scripture that I just read to you, somebody has read to you as if they're glad that's going to happen to you, I apologize. That's not Jesus at all. What, what Jesus wants to do is take care of these issues for you. He, he wants to make you rich. He wants to beautifully cover you. He wants to give you eyes that, that can see. And he is the only one who can provide those things if you choose him. If you choose him. And look at what it says to, to his children. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent to turn from your indifference. He corrects us and he does it with love. We get complacent and think this is as good as it gets. Can I just say this to you? And I, I pray you hear this. This earth and this life, if you're a believer, is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. But if you're a, not a believer... This life and this earth is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. And this is an invitation to so much more. In fact, look at, look at what he says in verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Preachers, we preachers use this verse all the time with an application to the individual door of your heart. And I think it's a valid application to this text. But this is not exactly what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is Jesus is outside the church. Trying to come back in. in into the church. And some of us have been raised around Scripture and raised around some little bit of knowledge of Scripture. And if I were to ask you, what do you think Jesus is going to do if you open the door to him? There are all kinds of answers that you would come up with. But the thing that he says he wants to do when he comes in is share a meal together. There, there are moments like this one where I haven't been to the Middle East in many, many months that, that I miss it. And I long to be back there, not just in the place, but with my brothers and sisters and in Christ, what God is doing over there. But one of the reasons I love it is, is just how people-oriented they are. When, when you sit down at a meal it could go six hours. And the waiter or the waitress is thrilled for you to stay there six hours. In fact, when you ask for the bill and you do that like this, there, and that means bring me the check. When you ask for the check, they're a bit offended that it's over. That your enjoyment has come to the place where you're ready for this to be over. That maybe they haven't served you well enough. Maybe they haven't catered to you well enough. Maybe they haven't taken care of you well enough. In America, we want to flip the table as many times as we can. Why? Because it's another check and another tip, another check and another tip. There, they want you to enjoy fellowship. And as a Middle Easterner, Jesus is saying, if you'll open the door, I'm going to come and share a meal with you. It's one of the most intimate moments in a Middle Easterner's life is a meal. I want to come and eat with you. I want to sit down and fellowship with you. I want to laugh. I want to cry. I want to be intimate with you. And, and do you remember the last meal that Jesus shared with his friends? It, it, we call it the Last Supper. And do you remember what he said? I will not do this again until we are all together. 
That's amazing to me. The, 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 the next big event, remember what it is? The rapture for us to be with him. And, and, and each time we take the Lord's Supper, we look back at the last supper, but we're also looking forward to the next supper, right? W- w- with him. And he is pursuing you today. And, and so I want us to end this series w- with a meal. I want us to end this series w- with the Lord's Supper. And, and by the way, Jesus, the Spirit of God, ends this whole letter to them in the very same way that he ended all of them, where he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches and what he is saying to us. And and so I just want to linger in Jesus' presence today as a faith family, and we'll respond. And I want to give you a chance today before we move into that. The Lord's Supper. It's his. And he gets to give the invitations and make the invitations. And it's reserved for those that are his, that have bought gold from him and white garments, ointment for their eyes. It's as if he's saying there's an exchange. And I don't understand all of that verse about buy from me, Jesus saying that to us. But I understand this about buying. An exchange happens. Right? Isn't that true in buying? There's an exchange that's happening. With Abraham, he said, give me your trust and I will be your shield. I think the buying is, is, hey, give me your sin and give me your heart. And in exchange, I will give you my righteousness. I I, I will give you the ability to reign and to be a co-heir with me. Give me your sin, not just your sin. Give me your heart. In other words, you bow your knee before me and you confess with your mouth. And I'll give you gold. And I'll give you clothing and covering. And I'm going to give you the ability to see beyond what you can see today. It's a good purchase. And if you've not made it, I I want to encourage you to do that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and open your hearts? Believers, you're you're praying. Just as we watched a couple of weeks ago, many people who had been lulled into believing that they actually had life and actually had a relationship with Jesus, but in their heart of hearts knew they weren't actually connected to the power source. I, I believe there are some today. And we're praying that this moment could linger long enough for you to cross that line and make that exchange with Jesus. And so if you're here today and you say, Pastor, this moment is for me, I don't know that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I don't know that I have a personal relationship with him. Maybe I've been around the things of God. I've been around the things of the church for a long time. But I actually just don't have assurance of salvation. As we said a few weeks ago, when you lay your head on your pillow, it's a battle. In moments like this, it's a battle. You become fidgety. And today... This invitation as we wrap up the series is for you. Campus pastors, would you, would you come up on the stage at, at this time? And could I just ask you, every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, you say this invitation, I, I believe it's for me, pastor. Would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand at every campus to say, hey, it's for me. Please pray for me. If you're going to pray, include me in that prayer. Just raise your hand here, here at Broken Arrow. Just raise your hand. Pray for me, Pastor. I need assurance of salvation. 
at Midtown? Would you, would you raise your hand at Downtown? Would you raise your hand at Jinx? And Midtown, raise your hand. Owasso, ra- ra- raise your hand. Anybody here in Broken Arrow? Pray for me, Pastor. That's me. Now, Father, I pray for everyone in our midst who you're extending this invitation to today. And I pray you'd meet them right where they are. And I pray today that you would win the battle in their heart and in their life. I pray that when we say amen, they will will have crossed that faith line and have a relationship with God's Son, the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. You say, we do do this prayer every week. Yeah, I, I know, but if it doesn't reflect the attitude of your heart and actually the will of your life, then there's no power in it. But if you want to trust Christ today, you want to give your life to Jesus today, you want to know that you know that you know today, would you just pray with me? People are going to pray out loud all around you as, as an encouragement to you. At every campus, those of you watching online, would you pray with me? And would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver, in the best way that I know how, the best that I understand it, I trust you and you alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for salvation. Before we say amen, you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart. You meant it with all of your heart. At every single campus, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I prayed it. I meant it with all of my heart. I meant it with all of my heart. I'm trusting. I'm trusting Christ. Anybody else at every single campus, just, just raise your hand if you would. Anybody else? Anybody else? Now, if you just raised your hand, would, would you look at me or look up at your campus pastor? And let me just find you for a second. Make I have a couple right here, side by side. I don't know if you're together or not. I'm calling you a couple, but you're, yeah, you are. Put your arm around. Yeah, amen. Anybody else? Wait, 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 wave your hand at me so I can find you. You, you, you meant it. Right here, my friend. Right here, ma'am. Right here, sir. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Can can I say to you, congratulations. And welcome to the family of God. And and in a moment, uh, we're going to respond and we're going to come forward. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And if you prayed that prayer and meant it with all of your heart, I'm going to ask at at each of our campuses for a pastor to stand near one of the tables. we got a pastor right here, Josh, near this table. At all the other campuses, near the tables, I just want one of the pastors to stand. And and before you come and take the Lord's Supper, would you just take that pastor's hand and say, hey, I just prayed that prayer, and I meant it with all of my heart. And they just want to get your name. They want to say a quick prayer with you. And and then they want to serve you the Lord's Supper elements as a part of the family, as a part of the family today. And so if that's you, before you come and take the elements, just grab one of these pastors. Let's just get pastors at some of the other tables, uh, if we could, guys. And so that any table, and at most campuses, I think the tables are all at the front. Here at Broken Arrow, they're at the front and the sides and one behind the production booth. And so let's get a pastor at every table, if we could, right now at every single campus. Okay, so Mike, if you come over here and somebody come over here, somebody go back there. And at every campus, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, then you take one of those pastors by hand and say, I prayed that prayer. Say, I don't know what to say. That's all you got to say. I prayed the prayer and I meant it. And they'll help you from that point forward. Okay, they'll, they'll, t- they'll take care of it. They know what to say. And they'll help you with that. Father, today, our prayer for the last seven weeks is that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, sensitivity to the Spirit. Father, we thank you that in this season we've seen many say yes to Jesus and to come into faith and to come into a saving relationship. That's just the beginning. There are step after step after step after step after step for those of us who are yours in your faith family. And the encouragement is always the same. Take what you're putting your trust in today and give it to me and watch and see what I'll do with it. Trust me. Trust me. 
So Father, help us as a church filled with men and women and boys and girls, thousands and thousands of them, to trust you more, to trust you daily, to live out this encouragement of hearing what the Spirit is saying to his bride and to his church and responding to it. And Father, if we'll live that way, there's no telling what you will do in us and no telling what you will do through us. It's the desire of our heart to follow after you and to chase you. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. We're going to move into this season where we take this meal together. And I want to remind you what I said a moment ago. For those of us who know Christ, every time we take this meal, we're looking back to that last meal where Jesus said, do this and do it in remembrance of me. But every time we take it, we're also looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb where we are united around that table with King Jesus. And and, and so today as we take the elements, You do it with that in mind, if if you would. There's a little bit of somberness sometimes that comes with the Lord's Supper, but but more than that, there's a consciousness of the presence of Jesus in our lives and what our future is. There's an excitement that comes when we take the bread and we take the wine. And and, and so uh, I'm going to ask if you would stand and, and the band would just play. And when you're ready, you come and take the elements. Nobody's going to tell you, now take the bread or now take the wine. This is a corporate thing, but it's also an individual family thing today. And and so when you're ready, you go take the elements, and we'll worship the Lord in this way, in this season. And in a few moments, uh, the camp's pastors will come and preach, or or not preach, pray, (laughs) pray, victory over us, okay? So let's respond appropriately.